Welcome to one of these videos. People make these videos all the time because it's truly amazing how much money you can actually make on YouTube. And there's so much curiosity because no two creators are really the same. Now we're making this video because we're coming off one of our biggest months ever on YouTube in terms of how much the platform paid us. For 1.4 million views in the past month, we've made $5,280.94. Now that's almost $1,000 more than we made from YouTube in the entire year of 2019. So that's a lot of growth for us in the past month. So in this video, we're going to try and explain why we think we've seen that much growth. What is so different now as opposed to a year ago or even three months ago? Now, it's important to note that this growth that we're experiencing is not just on the platform of YouTube, but in our business as a whole. And with all the creators that we talk to, it seems like this shift is happening across the entire creator world or the creator economy. Buzzword of 2021. So if you hang out on Twitter as much as we do, you've probably heard the term creator economy. So in this episode, we want to dig into that term. We want to define it and explain why it's had such a big rise in the past year. We're also going to talk about what all of this means for the future of creators and the creator economy. So in this episode, we're going to be speaking with Lee Jin, who's an investor and creator that's raised over $13 million to invest just in creator economy companies. We're also going to be speaking with Josh Cohen, who is the founder of of TubeFilter and the Streamy Awards. He's someone who's been covering the creator economy since far before it was called the creator economy. And at the end of this video, we will tell you how much money YouTube paid us for 14 million views, which is the total amount of views that our channel has done since we started it. And during the episode, if you want to guess how much money that is, you can put that in the comments, but just don't, don't sneak your way to the end and hear it first. Like actually honor code make a guess. And don't look at other people's guesses because they may have cheated and gone to the end, you know, just kind of like blindfold yourself and yeah, you know, guess. don't cheat. Nobody likes a cheater. Before we get into this episode, we want to ask you guys if you could like the video. If you've been enjoying the content, then it would also mean a lot to us if you could subscribe. If you're into the creator economy and talking about the world of creators, I definitely think you'll like the show that we put out every Monday. And if you're new here, then you're about to see our show intro for the first time, which is always an exciting part of the oh, show. It's thrilling. It's it thrilling. really is. Yeah. And the anticipation before we roll the intro... You can just feel the tension rising right now. Mm -hmm, Colin, mm -hmm, give the mm -hmm. people what they want. Here it is. Roll the Here intro. It is. One sec. <laughs> it's really a great intro. All right. Welcome to the audio only experience. It's good to be here. It's always good to be here. Feels yep. like hanging out in my living room. Yeah, it's always fun. It's so funny that it feels so different when the cameras are rolling. Yeah. You know, you're just so aware of the fact that the cameras are rolling, you know? Yeah. And I'm always worried about audience retention. Like I, I'm listening to you talk and thinking about how much I'm going to cut out of it, which is a really <laughs> tough way. That is a tough way to live. To live, yeah, you know? exist. Um, but but yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think you and I also consume content in very different ways. Like I, I'm curious for people who are listening, like I, I, it's very rare for me to start a piece of content and not finish it. Like, like a podcast, a YouTube video, I have to really not like it. I mean, that's the most common scenario for me is that I won't finish it. Right. And if I really like it, I'm amazed that I made it to the end. Right. Yeah. And I, I will just, uh, I'll watch start to finish. I don't know. I have this kind of thing where I'm like, all right, I started it. Let me at least get to the end and see what, what it's all about. Yeah. I'm much more forgiving in audio form though than I am with video. If I like, a, it's much more likely that I will like a podcast and I will listen until the end. Because I can fit it into my life a lot easier. You know what's interesting though is that I listen and like I don't, if there is a video version of a podcast, I'm watching it. The only video- And I'm super forgiving in that format. 
the only video podcast that I listen to is impulsive, I think. And I do watch it. But and if are, I'm getting are you into- equally as forgiving in, while you're watching it as if you were listening to it. Yeah, I, I uh, am able to get through them because sometimes let's say I get into my car, I'll switch to the audio version. Mm. Interesting. So the likelihood that I will actually finish the episode is much higher. You know, I was talking to Eric the other day um, and he was telling me that he, he'll just pop open our YouTube video and like while he's doing the dishes or doing like stuff around the house, he'll have it up so he can turn his head and look at it if there's something interesting on the visual, but he's mainly listening to it as an audio experience. And I think that's pretty common for this stuff. So I, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, our audience and how they're interacting with it now that it has a video form. Because for me with video podcasts, like I'll, I'll, I do the same thing. I'll put it up, I'll do something else. I'll be working out, doing the dishes, cleaning up and I'll turn my head if, if there's something interesting, but I'm essentially playing it all the way through. How dare you not look? <laughs> I put so much effort in to make sure people look. <laughs> that's where that's where you got to with this air act thing. Is yeah. How, not yeah. not that's so nice that he listens to every episode. No, I don't care about that. <laughs> how dare you? Look? How dare you not look? You know the one thing though that he did say to me that I think is interesting and it totally relates to this episode is he was like, "Dude, isn't it crazy that you can have a whole show about like our industry?" Yeah, because a year ago you really couldn't. You couldn't, right? Yeah. That might be something I say again in the video experience. So for all of you audio listeners, if I say that again, you know why. But I just, it, it's an interesting conversation to have that a year ago, this show, this show a year ago was about just you and I and our struggles with trying to figure out our business. And today the show is about creators as a whole, which is something that we've been talking about on the show. Because but it's become the business. Because it's become the whole business. Like our business is in covering the creator economy, which is pretty wild. Now, there, there's a lot of trends that um, I think uh, are really fun to track in the creator economy. One of my favorite ones has been NFTs, to be honest. I think NFTs are just so new and experimental. It almost feels like when you're, you're like first, like, like when YouTube first came out and people are figuring out things with the platform. It reminds me of that. We've been having a lot of conversations recently about NFTs because we're going to be launching one soon. And learning about this really feels like the first time in a long time that I've learned about something completely new, like 100% new. And every twist and turn feels like brand new information and you're seeing the world in a completely different way. Yeah, I mean, there are so many holes on the internet you can go down about NFTs and videos you can watch. I mean, even the platforms that we're exploring to, to host the NFT. It, I've they, never really heard of any of them. Yeah, they all operate in completely different ways. Even, you know, the process that I just went through of creating an Ethereum wallet was so wild. And like having this, so the way it works, there's this like string of words that you have to remember. It'll show it to you once, period. If you lose that. Did you write it down? You lose your wallet. I didn't write it down, but I have it memorized. You know, you didn't I, write it down? I'm pretty good with my Nah, with my you got to write it down, man, and like put it in a safe. Well, we, it's our account, so I know, you need to know like, it too at some yeah, point. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell it to you after this, this podcast, but it's not up to me. Like they gave me the phrase. I couldn't come up with the phrase. And you think you remember it? I do remember it. And they gave you the phrase I to remember. I think I remember it, yeah. This is a mess. Yeah, I think I remember you it. You got to make sure you have that because if not, then we, we can't transact with it. Yeah, then we can't transact. I feel bad for the people who have had like a ton of Bitcoin in a wallet and then couldn't remember their phrase. That's just got to be devastating. Oof. That's got to be devastating. 
So yeah, I mean, uh, what's cool is that after 10 years, it feels like we're just entering this new phase of this whole world of the creator economy. And it's amazing this feeling that it's arrived, but it's also this crazy feeling of being like, oh my God, it's been 10 years and we just entered phase like one. I think as as we get into this episode, you'll hear Lee Jin, who we talked to, describes it more as like 3.0, 3.0. But for me, as I'm looking at this whole experience, I feel like this is the start of the race for us. For us, yeah. 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 Because it's like, whoa, the the opportunity to cover the creator economy as a business is in phase one. And a lot of people are now doing it. So we have to try and uh, make sure we set ourselves apart as being unique. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Um, one thing I do want to add in going forward. So if you're listening to this on the audio only is some questions from you guys. So if you want to tweet at us, uh, you can email us. Um, but it'd be great to know if you're listening here to the audio only experience and we will be adding questions. So in, in the next week's episode or maybe the following week's episode, we'll include a Q and a section, um, here in the audio only. And we'd love to answer your guys' questions. And we decide on our topics Mondays and Tuesdays, sometimes over the weekends. So those are hot times. So if you have something, shoot it over. Yep. Send it over. All right, here we go into our episode about the creator economy. You know, what's amazing is that when we first started uploading to YouTube, like I remember trying to explain the business model to my friends and family. And it was just like, okay, I think what I do is I make videos, I upload them to the site, and then the site is going to pay me, which was YouTube. Quickly, I realized that was not going to be our path, especially because the first check we got from YouTube was around 35 cents. And it was after like two months of work. So you saw that check and you're like, I need to diversify my business. Big time. Even when you think back to what we were doing in 2010, 2011, one of the first things we did was actually adjust ourselves into selling merchandise to our audience. We sold creative services. We just did anything and everything possible to diversify our revenue and actually be able to pay for us making these videos. What's amazing is today, this term creator economy allows for this serious diversification. Like the numbers that we told you in the beginning of this episode around how much money YouTube paid us even last month, that doesn't even make up 10% of our broader business which means that we do have all these different elements that make up our general business or creator economy pie. And we're going to get more into that in this episode, but you know, this concept of diversification, it's not only for your business, but it's also for your personal life, which is why this episode is sponsored by public.com. The smoothest segues in the game. They call me Segway Samir. Well, Public.com is an investing social network. It's a free app where you can own the companies you believe in and share ideas in a community of investors and creators. There's a ton of creators that we follow that are actually on the app, like Phil DeFranco, Casey Neistat, Graham Stephan, our good friend Paul Rabel, Mrs. Dow Jones, who I love following on Instagram. She has great financial advice and memes. There's over a million members on public, so you can get a ton of different perspectives on the app. And there's also a lot of learning opportunities. One of our really good friends and mentors, Paul Rabel, he has over 270,000 followers on public. And he writes- what? Yeah, it's unbelievable. He writes these amazing pieces about the companies that he believes in and the stocks that he's investing in and helps provide a lot of context into the trends that he's seeing in the market. You posted your first post on public. Listen, you can also follow me on public.com at Samir Chaudhry. And I, this week, not only invested in Coinbase, but also provided some context as to why. So I also invested in Coinbase and then I read your take on it. 
I agreed with the sentiment, so I gave it uh, a little hands up emoji, you know, the like praise. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. That is yeah. nice. Yeah. And there's also real discourse on the app about these companies and, and trends, which is really fun to read through. It's not just a space for memes and people just saying stonks, which where did that term stonks come from? I don't know. Who threw the end in there? It wasn't me. Don't look at me. I don't I'm know. just saying it well, came you, out of nowhere. It looked to me like it was me. It's not me. I don't know who did that. So investing on public.com is really easy. There's actually no commission fees on standard trades and there are no account minimums to get started. You can invest in thousands of publicly traded companies for as little as $1, which is awesome because if you go to the link in our description and sign up at public.com slash creators invest, you'll get $10 in free stock and you can get started on public.com today and read my post about Coinbase. Maybe throw me a little- Drop an emoji. Yeah, drop an emoji about- my post. Any emoji you want. You don't have to copy my emoji. Yeah, it could be anyone. Surprise me. Yeah. Surprise me with an emoji. It's so exciting. That is exciting. Congrats. I, I yeah. feel like we should congratulate I know. each congratulate other. Congratulate all of you yeah. on, on starting to invest today with public.com. That's so cool. Now, back to the show. So I think a lot of the reason that we've made more money in a month on our YouTube channel from YouTube than we have any other month in our past comes down to two things. One, the rise of the creator economy which we'll get into. And then two, our ability to build trust. These are the two things that we think play into us making more money on YouTube from YouTube. Let's start with the rise of the creator economy. Yeah, I had a conversation with Eric about a week ago and he was like, dude, you know what's so crazy? That you have a show that covers the creator industry. And you can make a living doing that. Yeah, there are so many different ways that we can generate revenue and run a business by talking about the creator economy. I think that has to show you how much this term and, and this even this world has grown in the past year. So I think it's important for us to really define what the creator economy is because that term gets thrown around so much. What really is it? Who's a part of it? How does the ecosystem move money around? And that's what we're going to go into right now by speaking with Lee Jin, who is an investor and a creator that recently raised $13 million to invest just in creator economy companies. She also wrote an article about the passion economy in the Harvard Business Review, which I think was widely seen as this like mass education across the industry, especially in venture capitalists and, and investors around what is this world of people monetizing their passions online. And for industries to grow, it's really important that the vernacular catches up, that there are terms that people can use to talk about it. And what Legion helps us do is really distinguish the passion economy from the creator economy from the gig economy. So that's what we're going to get into right now. Yeah. When, when I started writing about the space, I used the term passion economy, which I actually think is different than the creator economy. And I think the passion economy is a superset. Like it's the overarching thing. Um, it's the economy in which people are monetizing their passions and their individuality. In my mind, I was thinking of things like Shopify or Etsy or OutSchool, which is this online teaching platform where you can teach a class to K through 12 kids. Business like, like that, where these people would not call themselves creators typically. Um, but they were still monetizing their individuality and they were leveraging their imagination and their education and their creativity to make an income, not tied to a particular industry vertical like content or entertainment or anything like that. It spans across many, many different industries. But the commonality of all passion economy platforms is that they're enabling people to monetize individuality and establish direct customer relationships. The creator economy, I think, is a subset of that, which hones in on people who are creating content online, creating video content or 
audio content or like YouTube content or podcasts or like there's a content piece at the center of the creator economy. And I think that's why it's called creators because you're creating content. In terms of how I define the creator economy, it's the economy in which people are building influence and an audience online, primarily through social platforms. And they're creating content online and building an audience and they're able to monetize that that in a number of different ways. What are the differences between the gig economy and perhaps the passion economy? I think the gig economy is the opposite of the passion economy. So the gig economy is the economy in which people are really just doing commoditized tasks for money. So it doesn't really matter who they are, who the worker is. There's no customer loyalty. A lot of times there's no customer awareness even of who is doing the work for you. Like people probably couldn't answer who was the name of their last Uber driver or their last DoorDash driver, but you could definitely name like the last podcast that you listened to. So it's really, it's, it's the delineation is between commoditized work in the gig world where you don't really care about who the person is who's providing the service or product versus completely non-commoditized, very individual offerings in the passion economy. Is there a creator gig economy that, that can emerge, whether it's like editors, thumbnail designers, like, is, is there that world that you think could emerge? I think so. I think so. And I think looking at the social platforms, a lot of them do try to some degree to commoditize the creators themselves. Like even the concept of a feed is commoditizing a piece of content in a creator, right? Because if you don't create content one day, they'll slot in something else. And like maybe that thing is just as funny or entertaining as the creator that you had liked. Um, So I think social media platforms have an interest to commoditize the content in some way. And then I think in the broader ecosystem, content creators are supported by a lot of gig workers. And and I think we all are. So there was a time where you and I started comparing YouTube creators to Uber drivers, just in here, like in conversation, talking about how as a YouTube creator, your job is to get an audience member from point A to point B. And, and what that is, is capturing their attention and allowing YouTube to serve relevant ads to that person. That's delivering for YouTube. And it's not that different than an Uber driver who has to take a passenger from a physical location of point A to another location at point B on behalf of Uber. But what we started to realize, and especially after talking to Lee Jin, is that there's actually a really strong difference between the gig economy and the creator economy. There are some differences, and then there are also some similarities. So the main difference between a YouTube creator and an Uber driver is that you know Uber drivers are essentially commoditized very easily. You don't necessarily care which Uber driver picks you up, which person drops off your food with Postmates. But with YouTube, you do care. They are much less commoditized. I want to get my financial advice just from Graham Stephan, or I only want to watch Yes Theory make travel videos. But when it comes to how the platforms look at creators, they actually are trying to commoditize creators because if Yes Theory stops uploading or Graham Stephan or us, they want to make sure that their audiences are still served so they can pop in someone else. So as creators, we kind of have to prepare for that and find a way to play into that so that it works for us as an advantage. And that's part of the second reason why I think we've been able to make more money from YouTube, the platform, over the past month than any month prior is because we've thought about that. We've taken that into account and we've started to think, how can we build trust with YouTube, the platform. Yeah, I think typically a lot of people think about building trust just with their audience. 
but not really thinking about how to build trust with YouTube, right? Or, or with whatever platform they're on because the platform also wants to know how you operate. Like now think about the gig economy. If we're looking at this now as a commodity, content as a commodity and an Uber driver as a commodity, then YouTube wants to know that you're gonna show up at the time that you said you were gonna show up and wants to know that you're giving the customers a five-star experience. Once they realize that, they'll probably start serving you more. Same way that an Uber driver who has higher ratings and is a very trusted person for the company, they will likely get more access to rides and more opportunity to monetize. It's the same thing with the way YouTube operates where once we started shifting and saying, okay, every Monday at 6 a.m. we're gonna upload. We're gonna deliver the same type of content in a similar length to the same audience. Everything changed because now the platform can kind of see and understand. We can keep slotting you in. We can trust that you'll be there. But if we miss uploads or we all of a sudden change our subject matter, they can't trust that the audience that they have been serving us to is going to continue to like what we're doing. And similar to what we talked about with Graham when we had him on the podcast, where he was saying that one bad upload or one missed day, he doesn't even want to think about because it would mess up his whole consistency and his whole years and years of building trust with the platform and with his audience. And he is an example of a phenomenal partner to YouTube, someone who's built a lot of trust with them and with his audience. By the time you look at his three or four channels, he's uploading every single day, basically to YouTube and talking about something related to financial literacy. I see YouTube as like, they're a business and I wanna be a part of that business and I, how can I help that business grow and how can I make that business look good and how can I be a good example for that business? And so I very much understand that like YouTube is like, I owe so much to YouTube and I wanna do anything possible to help them grow as well. So I feel like if I can make good content for YouTube and feed into what they want and what they want to show and, and the message that they're trying to get out there, that's going to help me in return. And that's going to help get my message out there too. So once you've built trust with the platform, your content is going to get served a lot more. You're probably going to have more opportunities to monetize with the platform and you're going to just be in a better position to grow an audience. And trust with the platform is exactly tied to trust with the audience. The reason really good Uber drivers have a five-star rating is because the audience deems that that's the rating because they do show up on time. They have the snacks that you want, or maybe you don't want, maybe you don't want to grab the snacks. No, I don't want snacks in an Uber. Yeah. Okay. I don't want snacks. So maybe you don't want the snacks, yeah. but the audience likes the Uber driver. They give them the five-star rating because they're on time. The car is clean. And then Uber is able to serve that driver to more audiences. And YouTube is a very similar thing. Now where the creator economy differs from the gig economy is that once the creator does build that trust with an audience, they've actually no longer become a commodity because the audience's relationship with the creator cannot be commoditized. And that's why all of these opportunities in the creator economy have sparked up. That's why Lee Jin is raising $13 million to create tools that support the creator economy. Because once you do build that trust and you do gain that audience, there's so much you can do. You can do what we did and, and sell your audience a course. You can educate them right? You can become a merchant that sells clothing. You can start a brand. You can do a membership club where people actually want more content from you or exclusive content from you. And there's an industry now that actually supports that opportunity that we have a relationship with our audience. Now there's all these platforms. Like we want to create a shop. Cool. Launch it on Shopify. You want to make a course? Thinkific, Teachable, 
right? There's so many options to do it. So I think today, like where this industry is today is kind of this return. It's something that Lee Jin talks about, but it's a return to this pre-industrial era, right? Where everyone has their own business. Like you think about before there was all these big corporations, what did the world look like? What, what did the economy look like? Yeah. You go to someone to get your haircut. You go to another person, like, like a blacksmith, right? Yeah. I, mean, I, I, don't wanted really to, know, I didn't really know what a blacksmith does. Nah, I always wanted to go to a blacksmith. What do they make? Metal stuff? Like swords and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really relevant today, but it would be really cool. You go to one person to get your chickens. You go to another person to get your fruit. And they're not like big conglomerates. It's like what Nas Daly said around education. He said the future of education is single person universities where you come and learn from us or you learn about content creation from Nas or you learn about personal finance from Graham Stephan. Like this is now reverting us back to the opportunity where everyone can be their own business and creators with their relationship with audiences can be their own businesses. And that's outside of the revenue that the platform is giving them. When you look at like the holistic view of a creator, we've done videos about this before, but you have platform revenue, which is becoming, I think a smaller and smaller piece of a lot of creators business pie. Then you have direct to consumer revenue, which might be you know, merchandise, or it might be um, exclusive content, or it might be education, something like that, right? And then you obviously have sponsorships and and brand deals. And we're all of a sudden starting to get into this world where this pie can get so diverse because of all the different companies that are popping up. Mark Zuckerberg was quoted the other day saying that we're at an inflection point, that if you're talented, you can now make a good living as a creator. And I tend to agree with that. I think we are at kind of an inflection point in the creator economy. There are now enough tools if you are a talented media creator to finance a relatively healthy living. It might not be on YouTube AdSense, right? Like even with us, such a small percentage of our overall income comes from AdSense. But now there are so many other ways to monetize, actually, whether you're a video creator even or not. Like you look at Casey Newton, who runs Platformer and has a Discord channel, like a private paid Discord channel. That's actually where Mark Zuckerberg was speaking. He used to be at The Verge, which is a more traditional network, but he left and now he has his own audience that pays for his writing. You also look at Clubhouse recently adding monetization. Like you don't have to be on YouTube. You could be really good at, at talking or hosting a live show. And 100% and of those 100% tips go to the creator of the monetization goes to a creator. That's pretty amazing. You could also be on a TV show and then all of a sudden have a thriving cameo business of people who want you to sing them happy birthday or, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know, give some funny message if you're a comedian. I have this sense that cameo really took off because of Tiger King. Like I think cameo's valuation is directly tied to Tiger King. Oh, sure, yeah, that's a bold statement. So many people used Carol Baskin in things. Without Tiger King cameo, you'd be nothing. That's where I was getting at. Yeah. So just, (laughs) I also think what's amazing is when you look at Patreon, Tim Dillon, I think is a great example of a comedian who's just killing it, doing over a hundred thousand dollars on Patreon. That's wild. And, and the last one I'll bring up is all gas, no breaks who, you know, lost their deal to, um, a, a bigger entertainment company came back to start a new show and the audience, because they are not commoditized to their audience. They are a one of one. They Mm -hmm. are non-fungible. The audience cared about them so much that they were able to bring that content back to life on Patreon, right? Like that's amazing. 1500 people decided to put their credit card down and bring that show back to life under a different name. So the world today of, of being a creator 
I think is completely different than 10 years ago. And I think it shows us that in 10 years from now, how sophisticated all of this is going to be is truly unbelievable. And I think, you know, if, if you're walking away with one thing in this episode, it's that it's not too late to become a creator. I think that's a really important thing to note. It might feel overwhelming um, to think about like, man, how am I going to grow an audience? But what you're starting to realize now is that that world where it was just singular, it was just, hey, I make videos and I, I try and get this platform to pay me for those videos. That world is over now. Yeah, and these platforms are helping people monetize by selling directly to their audiences and the platforms then take a cut. But on the other side of it, you have platforms like YouTube that for years and years and years have been helping creators monetize their content through advertising. And that's something that we talked to Josh Cohen about, founder of TubeFilter and the Streamy Awards, just about this evolution of monetizing video content from the early days of the creator economy's inception. Yeah, did not talk about this in terms of creator economy, talked about it early then in terms of like web TV or online video. And it was this idea where there's this Hollywood ecosystem and there's only so many hours a day of programming that can fit into the Hollywood ecosystem. There's only so many hours of prime time every single week. There's only so many shows that can be broadcast across all the networks. But there exist these people that should obviously be in this ecosystem, but because of a number of different factors, maybe they're religion, race, sexual orientation, color of their skin, not getting a lucky break, nepotism, whatever else, or just kind of hard knocks, they weren't able to kind of make it or break through. But with the democratization of the tools of production for entertainment, now they were. So they had editing tools at their disposal. They had cameras at their disposal. And with the advent of, of um, streaming platforms like YouTube, they had distribution at their disposal too. So there's this idea early on where there's, gonna, there's this Hollywood ecosystem and there are these people that should be in the Hollywood ecosystem, but aren't for whatever reason. So there's gonna be this new burgeoning creator class that's gonna make all these TV shows that they wish they could have before that they can now and they can find an audience for it too. And there were some early stars of that. I think like Felicia Day is kind of the poster child of that movement and also really the only one that kind of made it big at the time. She had the show called The Guild where it was about a bunch of people playing Dungeons and Dragons. And that might seem kind of like almost mainstream culture now, but back at the time, that was a concept that never would have been on any kind of television show. A bunch of nerdy gamers playing a game, talking to each other, playing a game that's not even real, um, where they're not, they aren't real characters. Now, yeah, now Pokemon cards are going for millions of dollars. So. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> so she created this show. It got a big audience and big fan base, was able to sell it to MSN. I mean, she was a big poster child for this industry. At the first ever Streamy Awards, she talked about how she was on the periphery of Hollywood for her whole life. And she felt like this kind of square peg trying to fit into the round hole of Hollywood. And then the internet gave her a real big opportunity to kind of realize her creative visions and really thrive. And she was super thankful for it. So early on, we were kind of focused on that kind of creator. And then when YouTube started to get serious about embracing their creators, we started to see more people get serious about YouTube. And so then we started to cover more of that. I mean, like Phil DeFranco has a famous origin story where he was like a week away from just giving up YouTube and saying, yo, I got to focus on school until YouTube called him up and said, hey, we want you to be part of this creator program. Got his first check for a couple hundred bucks. I was like, oh, this could, this is cool. This could be something. 
And so I feel like at that time, people started to take it more seriously, especially when checks started to show up, regardless of the increment. $50, $75, couple hundred bucks, really flipped a switch in people's minds and said like, oh, this might be something. And so then we started covering more of this uh, YouTube ecosystem and then that branched into kind of like all these other creator ecosystems that developed after it. So like Phil DeFranco, which Josh talks about, we in our early stages made very small amounts of money from YouTube, the platform through AdSense. Like you mentioned it earlier, but yeah. the first check was 35 cents or something roughly like that. But just the idea that you could get paid for your content was novel and was interesting. Oh, it was completely new. Even the fact that we could have a place to distribute. Like when I first thought about making content and distributing it, I thought I was going to have to pitch a television network. And I was like, that's going to take years to figure out how to get some of my ideas out to people, right? To broadcast them. Um, and being able to do it through YouTube was was such an amazing thing. Like that to be to be a filmmaker right when that was happening was like, oh my God, this is amazing. You can upload here. Now to figure out how to monetize was, you know, a longer path. But today, when you look at how people are monetizing, I mean, Elliot Joy, who's an awesome creator, recently made a video and also was covered by Insider talking about how he made $90,000 from a single video. Of course, that video got 23 million views, which is pretty amazing. But the fact that you can generate $90,000 by uploading a video to this platform is crazy. Shelby Church made a video talking about how last year she made over $160,000. And Graham Stephan, who we've had on the show, made $2 million just from the platform last year. So on that note, because the title of this video is about how much money YouTube, the platform, has paid us, even though we do have so many other options to monetize, Let's look at how much we have made from 14 million views on our YouTube channel. Did anyone guess right? You're about did, you, to did you remember to guess? Because if you didn't, take the time now. All right, before we show this, just last minute guesses. Don't skip ahead. Just put your guesses in the comments. If anyone guessed this exactly right, you're going to get a high five next time I see you. Um, all right, the number for 14 million views YouTube has paid us. $33,996.72. Gives you a good frame of reference. If you're someone who can generate millions and millions of views with your content, there's actually still a lot of opportunity on YouTube. That's pretty amazing that, that, that the platform can pay you that much money. And at this point, we are starting to get more money from YouTube, the platform, because we are a trusted partner to them, finally, because we found a format where we can upload every Monday, no matter what. We're talking about similar topics. So for us, that amount of money... Uh, will continue to increase, hopefully, month to month. All right. Thanks for watching this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. And a huge shout out to public.com for sponsoring the show. Remember, you can go to the link in the description, check out public.com slash creators invest and get $10 to start investing into the stock market today. Make sure to like this video if you haven't already and subscribe to the channel. We're putting out episodes every single Monday about the creator economy. All right. Colin? Nope. Samir, roll the outro.